0: Welcome to For Fintech's Sake, hosted by Zach Anderson-Pettit. Zach is Managing Director of an accelerator called Fountain City Fintech and VP at MBKC Bank. For Fintech's Sake is a broad look at the world of fintech. Building the future of financial services requires deep understanding of both technology and finance. From the perspectives of founders, investors, and incumbents, we will explore the stories of people living at the intersection of finance and technology. All opinions expressed by Zach and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect those of MBKC Bank. This podcast is for informational purposes only.
1: My guest this week is Tom Block, ex-CEO of h and Block. Tom's story is a unique one. As the son of Henry Block, one of the original founders of the firm, he'll be the first to tell you that he was born on third base, running towards home plate. However, at the top of his career, raking in millions yearly as acting CEO, Tom quit to become a public school teacher and eventually co-founded a highly regarded charter school right here in his hometown of Kansas City. In this interview, we unpack the H&R Block founding story, Tom's time as CEO, and why he left, and also how his story ended up on Oprah. It's important for those in the fintech space to understand the stories of those who paved the way for what the industry is today. Not only that, but it's a wild ride and a fun story. I hope you enjoy my interview with Tom Block. Tom Block thank you for being here. Happy to be here. It's good to have you at the bank. Um, So as we kind of talked about, there's there's two parallel narratives that I kind of want to go through today. One is the Tom Block story that I'm sure, knowing you, you will try and downplay throughout the whole conversation. That shouldn't
0: take very long. It
1: shouldn't take long, of course. Um, And then there's the conversation of H&R Block um, and your dad and your family and kind of how that whole thing came together. Great. Um, So just kind of kicking off, Let's start with H&R Block, like back before you were CEO, uh, before it was even necessarily known as a corporation, um, and talk about kind of the seed stage. So when your dad and his brother were kind of out hatching this idea, where were you in the world? How old were you? What, what was the family situation at that point?
0: I was born in 1954. H&R Block was founded in 1955. Okay, so you okay. were mature. I was—I can't say I was a a mature business person at that point, but I was alive. But I think what's interesting is that before H&R Block was officially born in 1955, it had been around in a different form for eight years. For eight years. My father, initially, and then with his brother together— Uh, had been struggling, really, for eight years. And your father being Henry Block. Henry. Henry. Henry and Richard. Okay. And they struggled, Zach. They were, um, they did not do well. I've got a copy of their first tax return. I think my dad made $247 that year. And he lived at home with his parents because he couldn't afford to live elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And it was really, they were in the, they were bookkeepers, For very very small business, and they were doing taxes for their bookkeeping clients at no charge. It was just sort of an add on freebie service, and that's how they discovered that there really is a need for tax preparation help by itself.
1: And that was that took them eight years of eight, and they were doing that for free the whole eight years.
0: And in fact, they were actually going to get out of the preparation of tax returns because their business got pretty pretty good in terms mm-hmm. of their bookkeeping clients liking them to do their uh, their taxes as well that they decided let's let's stop doing taxes and just concentrate on the bookkeeping but it was a advertising salesman with the Kansas City Star who knew the brothers and had placed ads for them in the newspaper for bookkeeping at that time it wasn't called H&R Block. Um, it was called United Business Company. Uh, um, so anyway, um, um, this salesman from the star was one of the people that used the brothers for bookkeeping and had them do the tax return. And one year, actually it was in 1954, the year I was born, he came in, the, 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 the salesman came into mm-hmm. the office Uh, there at 39th and Maine, and said, uh, I'm here to have my taxes done. And my dad said, John, I'm sorry, we've decided not to do that anymore. We're just going to concentrate on our bookkeeping business. And John said, what a mistake. That's terrible. But he left. A few days later, John came back, and he said, I've got an idea for you what if you focus on taxes instead of bookkeeping do the opposite and he showed a sample of an ad a newspaper Mm -hmm. ad that he developed it was a cartoonish (laughs) ad cartoon character So he did
1: the creative he did all the the copywriting okay
0: and uh, he said what about this because at the time uh, my dad and uncle charged a flat five dollars To do a tax return wow this is a long time ago okay five dollars was not what five dollars is today and um um i said so just promote tax preparation in other words this was really not my dad's or uncle's idea to do this right and my dad said well what what would it cost to run this ad he said a hundred dollars and my dad said wow we'd have to do 20 returns just to get our money back and John said, That's not really true. You'd have to run two ads. Back then there was a morning newspaper and an evening oh, newspaper. Okay. 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 And he said you gotta run two ads. And that's two hundred dollars. And my dad said, Forty returns. <laughs> I think that's ridiculous. Impossible. But my dad's brother Dick said, Hank, that's what he called him. He said,
1: Hank, let's try wow. it. Let's try it. So, was there a lot of hemming and hawing? Is that does your dad kind of say he was he was against it?
0: So, Dad remembers uh, on a Monday morning he was. by uh, da- Dick used to sort of run the office internally, and my dad would go was sort of the external guy. He'd okay. go visit the clients, yeah. the bookkeeping clients, yeah. and he was at a seat cover, you know, a uh, um, upholstery for cars, a seat cover place. Okay. Um, and uh, the, of course, this is before cell phones, and uh, I'm probably going on way too long. No, there. no,
1: no, no. This is interesting. These are and, these are untold uh, stories. You got the, me. The
0: man at the seat cover place said, "Oh, uh, Henry, uh, your brother just called. He said you need to call him." So my dad got on the phone there, called his brother Dick at the office. He said, "Hank, get back here as fast as you can. We have a room full of people." <laughs> wow. It was instantaneous
1: success. This is
0: after eight years of eking out a living.
1: Just no one else was doing it in Kansas City? There
0: was no such thing as a a commercial tax Mm -hmm. preparation service. It was a new market. It was a brand new. They pioneered a market. There were CPAs at the time. Sure. And the IRS at the time would do free tax preparation.
1: Oh, wow but they,
0: they were not very popular because you don't want the person who's collecting the money to be telling you sure. how much you owe. Yeah. You know, yeah, what incentive like the did they have?
1: Advice industry, yeah. 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 So
0: um, my dad got back to the office and there was just, a, it was packed full wow. of people. They were on a second floor at really the corner of Westport and Maine. not a very nice uh, location. Uh, again, upstairs you had to walk up a long narrow stairway. And uh, they realized, as my dad said, they had a winning poker hand.
1: Wow, that's like the the 1955 version of uh, of servers going down because there was just too much <laughs> too much traffic. Exactly. that's ridiculous. Yep. that's amazing. So, what you were one? I was one. <laughs> what was going on in the world at that time? Oh. So, 1955. Your dad had some. Background in the military was this before he went off to the military? Or no, what, no, what was he, he was up to? he
0: was in World War II. Okay, okay, back in the mid 1940s. Okay, he was in, in the uh, Army Air Corps. He was a navigator on a B-17 bomber and flew missions over Nazi Germany, and so he developed this fatalist fatalistic attitude about life hmm. and. Uh, he loved he loved his experience, believe it or not, in the war. It just made him a very different kind of person,, yeah. and he became convinced during that period of time in his life that he wanted to have his own business. Hmm. He was determined, and his mother was the one who really put the seed in his head and and pushed him to be what we now call an entrepreneur, although my dad and word really didn't exist, I don't think, at that time. Because uh, her, her uncles went into business for themselves mm-hmm. and they were very successful. Mm. And she really wanted to see her sons do that. And she thought my dad would be the one to really get it going and the other two brothers would hopefully get involved and they'd work together. Hmm. So the idea of starting a business was not as high risk as being in a, a bomber uh, plane during yeah. world, world a world war. So, is that what
1: you mean by kind of the fatalistic?
0: Yeah. And he said, you know, I'm either going to be successful or not. I'm yeah. either going to die or I'm not. What happens is going to happen. Huh.
1: And uh,
0: so he just, I, I, I think I would have been a little more nervous about, yeah. uh, gosh, and he didn't have any money.
1: Right but Uh, yeah you got nothing to lose you create some clarity going through the war yeah
0: and he knew he really didn't want to work for somebody else sure
1: that's fascinating. I've always thought of your dad as almost like the the Charlie Munger of Kansas City.
0: I think I think there's a lot of that's a great analogy and I've never heard that before.
1: Well, he's just it, the mental models the way that he kind of thinks about like you either fail or you don't and you exactly. keep, you know. It's just it's so black and white but at the same time not many people are able to think that way. Yeah.
0: And the the amazing thing to me, Zach, is that uh as successful as the company became mm-hmm. they they encountered so many obstacles early on that to my way of thinking would have been like okay should we just give up yeah this is too hard or this is too it's just it's just not going to work but these two brothers would never give up they just kept fighting they kept looking for Ways to overcome those oh. obstacles. I mean, they were sued, for example, right off the bat
1: in '55.
0: In '55, who by whom, by associations of accountants and lawyers, mm. who complained that these guys were either uh, uh, practicing law or practicing accounting. Ah,
1: so the horse buggy salesmen were upset with yeah. the car manufacturers. You got okay. it. Okay,
0: you got it. Interesting. And they so these big powerful. Uh, uh, organizations came after them, and they, of course, they were advertising too. And at that time, lawyers were not allowed to advertise, nor accountants. Yeah. And so they thought it was they ought to be shut down. And in fact, when the company went public,
1: actually, hold on, rewind. Lawyers and advertisers were, or lawyers l- were and prohibited, were from prohibited from advertising.
0: advertising. And this startup uh, tax preparation commercial. Tax, storefront tax. Do you have property. any
1: clarity as to why? Do you ever, your dad ex, ever explained to you? why You know, that these was? were like,
0: you know, doctors weren't allowed to advertise in that in those days either. These just, were the, you're that, supposed to be a fiduciary. I these guess, are the so, top, okay. the creme yeah. creme de la creme professions, and it's just you don't lower. I think you just don't lower yourself to.
1: That's fascinating.
0: I, I, I'm I'm assuming that's huh. it.
1: You got me me curious. I was one year old. Sure, that's fair. I won't hold your feet to the fire as a one-year-old. But they Um, overcame it. But so, you know what?
0: I think I would have probably retreated and gone in your shell, uh, gone in my shell. But what did they do? Well, they decided: should we go to Des Moines or Columbia, Missouri, or or uh, Springfield or Topeka? What do we do? Because they're coming after us here in Kansas City. Let's go. Let's go to another city. Yeah, and that. It just spurred them on to hmm. expand. And where did they go? Not to Springfield or Columbia or Des Moines.
1: They went to New York City. That was the second city. Yes,
0: New really? York City.
1: And they just opened a brick and mortar on a corner. And I
0: don't know if you know the song about New York City that if you can make it there, you can yeah. make it anywhere. Yeah, I'm
1: enough of a Seinfeld fan, at least. Of okay. Course, yeah.
0: So that was their thinking. Let's go there. And that was in 1956. Wow. After one that was year. One
1: year. Wow. And, and how so that went well, I take it.
0: Not only did it go well, but well, but something really fortunate happened. And this is why, you know, people say my dad would say. My dad would say we were lucky. We were lucky. Mm-hmm. But my argument with that statement, we were lucky, is they made their luck. They made their luck. In 1956 in New York City, the IRS made a huge decision that helped develop h&r block okay they decided to stop doing free tax returns wow and so my dad said well gosh they're going to stop doing it this coming tax season why don't we put an office next to each one of their (laughs) local offices so in each of the boroughs of new york city where there was an irs office for free tax preparation They put an office as close as they could, saying, "H and R Block, income
1: tax." That's absolutely fascinating. How did do you And, you have any and so my dad
0: says we were lucky. I said, "But dad, you were there, yeah. and you took advantage
1: of it." Do you have any clue how they did? They raise money to raise all the, to open all those. Stores that sounds like a huge capital expenditure, and one year into the business. No,
0: I don't know exactly how you they were did one it. and a half by that I point. Was one so maybe and a half. an unfair question. But okay. I will tell you, at the end of that that tax season in nineteen fifty six, they both brothers hated being in New York City. They just didn't like it. They would go on the subway. They felt cra- yeah. being pushed and shoved, and what couldn't wait to get home. So they put an ad in the New in the New York Times t- to sell the business, and. They got one response, one response, from two CPAs who had, between the two of them, they had $10,000. And my dad and his brother thought, you know, it's probably worth more than that to give them the entire New York City. Yeah. Well, these guys said, well, we want more than New York City. We want Connecticut and New Jersey and parts of – I mean, they they wanted a big region sure. in that northeast and um but again, this was the only response they got to the ad so uh Dad and dick decided okay we'll 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 sell it to you for ten thousand dollars, but you've got to give us a percentage of your revenues mm. on a on a on an ongoing basis if you're only gonna pay us ten thousand for this brand new mm-hmm. home run concept, yeah, you're gonna have to give us yeah, a percentage of yeah. And today, you know what we call that franchising.
1: Oh yeah, I guess that is kind of the first friend. Yeah, back, back alley franchising that mainly came out of them, just wanting to get the hell out of New York City. They want to that's get out of New York City.
0: So that was the, the franchisee paying a royalty.
1: So I think that's that's a good transition. And who
0: else was doing this? At the, like almost simultaneously, almost simultaneously, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And
1: McDonald's, KFC,
0: McDonald's, KFC, McDonald's, and H&R Block, all independently, but at about the same time, Hmm. from what I've been told, came did this new concept, which we now call franchising
1: that is absolutely fascinating (laughs) it's amazing how these things get isn't it you in my head you know franchising came out of a group of very smart people sitting in a room there were there were chalkboards there was chalk everywhere exactly just tons of cigarettes and coffee and you know we we came up with franchising right but it's brilliant harvard right exactly graduates and yeah it's it's the working at mckinsey and right yeah (laughs) not quite not quite i love it that makes me happy um so, being one, um, let's talk a little bit kind of about that, that growth trajectory of you personally and the growth trajectory of um, H&R Block. So from 55 to 72, when you end up joining the company- I,
0: I- joined in 76.
1: 76. Great researcher, clearly. Okay. Um, when you joined in seventy six, what was what was the trajectory of H and R Block? What were you up to? Kind of what how did the business grow? How did Tom grow during that, that time?
0: Yeah. Well, I I grew up um, knowing I wanted to go into the family business. I yeah. never even considered anything else. Never did. So I went to college thinking, you know, I'm gonna come back and go to work at HR Block, and there was no pressure to do that, by the way. But it was really...
1: Why were you so just... Because I was just
0: so enamored by the growth and success of the company. Hmm. And one thing about our family life, uh, my dad, as hard as he worked, he was always home at 6 o'clock for dinner. Because we ate dinner 6 o'clock sharp every night. Now, he would oftentimes, after dinner, go up... To Disappear. his room yeah. Yeah. and go to work. Sure, okay, but we always had dinner at six o'clock, and what did we talk about? Much business? of it was business. Yeah, his day and what was going on, and it was just, you know, it was a fascinating learning experience.
1: Did your mom try and get you moving in a different direction, or was she just whatever you want? She Sean? was,
0: you know, I think she had a, a an interest, but you know, she none of this meant very much to her Mm -hmm. to be honest with you that success of the company or the success financially of the my dad never meant that much to her but um it was always a major topic at the dinner table yeah nonetheless so um so i came back went to work how old were you when you joined? I, up? I immediately upon
1: college graduation. So twenty. Twenty something like okay. that. And what did the what did H and R Block look like? I mean, was there totally national, just all over the place, a well-known name, it name brand? It was already
0: what? international at that point. Wow. And it was. I remember. I want to. I want to say it was in nineteen seventy-two.
1: Twenty-one years between. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
0: and I mean they expanded fast And they used this brand new concept Of charging a percentage Of the revenue mm-hmm. To f- expand even faster mm-hmm. um, Because they did not Have the capital to go rent You know To sign leases all over yeah, the Yeah, hire all
1: these new full-time employees Correct, sure. they,
0: and they could, they just couldn't afford that So yeah. instead, they would put An ad in the paper to find more, Man. More accountants Who wanted to you know, sort of commercialize their businesses. Yeah.
1: Necessity really is the mother of innovation, huh? Yeah.
0: And then during my tenure, we were buying back many of these franchising – franchises because we determined, A, we could have a more standardized level of quality across the system by owning them as opposed to franchising Mm -hmm. them, and uh, in many, many cases, we could operate them more profitably. So we were we were actively repurchasing yeah. uh, offices. That makes sense. Yeah.
1: So, who was CEO when you joined? As just an employee? oh, my dad. Your was. dad was. My still. dad was. And did you take over for him?
0: I took over was there, there was in 1981. In I became the company was maturing already in 1976. Mm-hmm. It was maturing, even though they dominated the market, absolutely dominated. I was going to say, back, I think it was 1972, there was an article in some newspaper around the country, and my dad was asked the question by the reporter, who's who's number two in your industry? Mm-hmm. My dad said, I really don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can imagine him answering with just this sense of just, you know, I'm really not sure. Isn't that yeah. something? Yeah. yeah. No backhanded, we're the only ones, just I don't know.
0: At that time, it was such a fragmented industry. Yeah. you know there were lots of mom and pop, and many of them were f- former H and R Block employees who decided, "Why am I working for these guys? I'll go do it on my own."
1: That's interesting. Okay,
0: but there was no one on the kind of scale. No, there, were maybe a couple of regional players, or uh, but nobody was nope, national.
1: Nobody was really yeah, like scorching earth. Fascinating. I
0: mean, which which goes to one of the. Things My dad points to, with great pride, he said, you know, we never raised our prices for 12 years. So from 1955, for 12 years, as they were expanding. It was still five bucks. Still five bucks. Wow. And they could have raised their prices, and they could have made more money. But my dad and his brother said, you know, we are providing such a valuable service to people and they really appreciate it. And you know, we're advertising and that's good, but it's the recommendations that we're getting from our existing customers that was the key to the growth of the business. And they said, let us I'd, I'd rather have a bigger market than have a bigger profit statement. Mm-hmm. So they kept their prices down Without, I think, really realizing that what they were doing is putting up a huge obstacle to competition. People looked at this market <laughs> By accident. and they go, why yeah. would I want to go into this business and charge $5? Right. And it's so seasonal. I have to rent a retail location, put up yep. a sign. I'm going to charge $5 and then I'm going to be out of business for
1: eight months, out, for of the year. Eight months yeah. out
0: of the year. So... It really was a it was a brilliant strategy, but I think it was not- re- they, i don't think yeah. they realized how yeah. brilliant it
1: was. It was one of those um the best ideas seem stupid for yeah. the for the That's first right. half of them or something, and then all of a sudden it's a no brainer
0: you know, my yeah. dad i do you remember walter cronkite he was a yeah, uh, yeah. he was interviewed by Walter Cronkite once and um and my he he was trying to figure out how did why did you do this how did you do this and my dad talked about with me I'll go back to Walter Cronkite he said he saw a movie when he was 13 years old about l- the life of Louis Pasteur yeah you know pasteurization yeah yeah of milk. Yeah, yeah
1: yeah your dad tells the story yeah, yeah yeah
0: you know it's a black and white not a very good movie mm-hmm. I didn't think I have yeah. seen it uh, but it's about this it's inspiring story of this man who 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 Really, Scientific pe- genius. Yeah. A genius that saved people's lives. Yep. My dad, who loved, always loved movies, mm-hmm. came out of there going, I want to do what he did. I want to make the world a better place. And I really, as as idealistic as this sounds, I really think he went into this thinking, if I can make the world a better place, I'm just going to be so satisfied, so fulfilled. I don't care about becoming rich. Mm-hmm. And so he loved it when customers would write and say how much they valued the service and that kind yeah. of thing.
1: He Wasn't building an economic machine. He you was know, building. And, it.
0: and I and it, he people would ask him, "Well, what's the key to being a successful entrepreneur?" He said, "Well, I don't think if your goal is to become rich, you're probably not going to be successful. If that's your goal." If it happens, that's fine. Great, great, But if that's why you're doing it, yeah, you need a probably, motivation. You need something deeper than yeah. that. Anyway, it was in an interview with Walter Cronkite that um, it, it came out that he said, "I want to do something different. I want to contribute something to society,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's and that's really what they did. And I think he just got such great satisfaction from it. And then, of course, his life changed so greatly when he decided, instead of focusing now on making this company bigger, I want to give back. Yeah. And, and give back specifically to Kansas City yep. because it's the community that embraced that concept back in 1955. He has always said, I owe Kansas City a debt I'll never be able to repay.
1: Well, it's it is definitely becoming mutual at this point. I can say Kansas City would not be the the business center that it is if yeah. it weren't for him. But going King
0: back to pay, your so. question, they um, the company began to diversify, okay, and had really mixed success going into completely different kinds of businesses. But that was in an era where diversification was sort of like the end thing. So they bought a temporary help company they bought Mm. a company that competed with the post office delivering
1: um you know parcels just kind of all over the place didn't work out very well yeah
0: um they bought a company called CompuServe yep. which was an online which was really the first online information service yeah uh, and they were I want to come back to that minute. In they a little, did yeah, unbelievably until a little comp a little startup called America online came yeah. along
1: yeah I want to come back to that so their lunch quick quickly before we get into that, that side of things I I'm really curious about that trajectory from joining H&R Block to becoming CEO how I guess you know, it's like a 12 part question, but how did you prepare yourself? Did your dad, was that a hard conversation with your dad? Was he kind of supportive of it? And I guess my last one, just because it's you, were you ready? Like, did you really feel ready to do that?
0: It's a good question. I think it was 1981 when I became president of the tax business. Okay. I think I was 28 years old. Wow. I, and I was running the tax business because at that time, H&R Block was fairly diversified. So, Tax preparation was one. It was the main. It was sure. the bread and butter business, yeah. the most, most profitable business. Um, but it was one of several companies okay. that, were, that were under the H&R Block umbrella. So at a very young age, I had a great responsibility but I was so determined, Zach. This is what I wanted to do, and I always wanted to succeed. succeed my dad as CEO, mm-hmm. which I did in 1992. Um, and so at that time, I was uh, he 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 became chairman of the board. Okay, um, and we st- you know, we worked closely together for so many years, and had a great relationship. But um, I would say it was in 1992 when I became CEO that I began to think to myself, is this it? Yeah. Is this all there is? Yeah. This is what I wanted so much for so long.
1: Yeah, dog chasing the car, you catch the car. What do you do with the car?
0: And I began to have second thoughts. Yeah. And I was still pretty young. And I said, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? And I can... Go into all the thinking and the sleepless yeah. nights I had. But yeah. in 1995, I stepped down.
1: So what, before we get into the stepping down side, were, were there any really formative experiences or formative mentors or anybody that, how, how do you go from being in one company to becoming CEO of that company? It just seems like you... You obviously there's some you know familial aspects to it, but yeah. becoming ready for that. I seems mean, obviously,
0: tough. I was given a totally unique opportunity.
1: Yeah, but I know I know your dad well enough to know that um, you know you you if you weren't ready, you would not have been put right. in that position. So, were but, there any kind of obviously your dad was there for you, et cetera? But right. were there any programs or yeah. mentors? Or when how did I started you in
0: 1976, there was a very detailed written training plan for hmm. me.
1: Oh, for you specifically.
0: Specifically for for me. So I spent a certain number of months in various positions in the company. So I'd spend three, four months doing this. Then Mm -hmm. I'd go to that at the lowest levels within the company.
1: Like working at brick and mortar locations? Oh, you bet. Doing the whole thing? You bet. okay, cool. I
0: even taught tax preparation. I learned how to do tax returns. I even became a teacher of tax taxes. By the way, you wouldn't want me to do your tax return today. (laughs) I can't even do my own, okay, honestly. (laughs) But I did that. I worked in an H&R Block uh, tax office, and a few of them, to to understand how the business works. My dad realized, and it made nothing but sense, that you need to understand every aspect of the business. Now, some may argue that if you're really a brilliant person, you can go from one company to the next. And sure enough, the current CEO and the one before him and the one before him and the one before him came to H&R Block having been in other businesses and yep. never working their way up the organization yep. so I mean there's two schools of thought there but I learned the business from the ground up and and that obviously helped me enormously um,
1: Is that advice that you would get like if there's you know some some younger listeners out there coming out of business school whatever if there are Kind of rotational programs? Is that something oh, you think people should go out of their way to find? I do. Yeah,
0: I absolutely do. Just now I'm sure there are people a lot smarter than I am who can just uh, uh, parachute into a company at a high level and do an outstanding job. I don't know if I would be one of those people who could who could succeed at that. Plus, I'd probably be afraid to jump out of an airplane.
1: <laughs> You're nothing if not humble, but I don't see you jumping out of an airplane. No, that's fair. That's fair. I don't see that happening. Um, okay, so let's, let's come back to that that CompuServe uh, AOL story. So I recently saw um, when Steve Case was getting the Entrepreneur of the Year at UMKC, uh, you introduced him, and you two had some banter back and forth about this. So I'd love to, I, I don't fully know the story, so I'd love to hear what that competition was like and that scenario
0: copy serve based in columbus ohio at the time
1: when so when did h r block acquire? oh gosh know? i want to say it late, was in i want to late 80s late
0: 70s oh. early 80s wow. i think wow um actually it it transformed into an online information service it much like my dad start went from bookkeeping tax preparation, Mm -hmm. CompuServe went from one type of computer uh, uh, service to a different computer service. Hmm. And um, it was the pioneer in that industry and was extremely successful, very profitable, but they charged by the minute. When you would go online, you as the consumer would pay by the minute in order to be online and to access information.
1: Sounds like a good business okay. model. Okay,
0: great business model. Until another company comes around and says, all you can eat for mm-hmm. a flat monthly fee. And that was Steve Case at America Online. And... Um, so how'd you deal with I that? Think, I think Steve uh, mentioned at that uh, event that at one point we talked about purchasing... America Online, because yeah. they, were, they were becoming a, a, fierce, to say a fierce competitor would be an understatement. I mean, they were, they were just stealing the market. Uh, and and no, I don't mean that in a negative way. They, no, yeah, yeah They, they, yeah. Were, they yeah. were just Sports too good. Yeah. They were too good. Yeah. And um, uh, unfortunately, that transaction never happened. And then later, CompuServe became part of America Online. So, gotcha. Um,
1: had that happened, it seems like H and R Block would have had a a different trajectory into the two thousands, And yeah, just, et You know,
0: there's a lot of uh, uh lessons learned here. Yeah. I think, I think, I think one of them is, you know, maybe you should stick to your knitting. Hmm. You know, we didn't. My dad, by the way, never owned a computer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> he was CEO of the of this company that owned Amer- that owned CompuServe. Right. I mean. My dad was a a great tax guy and a great entrepreneur and a tremendously successful business person in general. Mm -hmm. But he was no technology guy. Never was. Never wanted to be. And here we bought this company to diversify because it was sort of the... Because that's
1: what you do. That's what you did then, right? It was in
0: style. Yeah. And...
1: um, Does your dad have any sense of... um, I don't. I don't even hindsight, or I mean, how, does he have any feelings about it? Knowing no. knowing him, I could see him having some mongerish thoughts.
0: You know, it was just a, an amazing ride for so long, and then it sort of, it just everything hit a wall.
1: Yeah, it hit a wall. And so tell me, that's maybe a good transition into why did you step down?
0: I stepped down in in ninety five, and. um as I said, after so many years of of aspiring to yeah. this role of c e o and loving h and r block i mean yeah. it was my life, even though I was married, I had two children. part of the problem, zach is that I took my work home with me mm-hmm. my dad my dad was able to not do that when he what came, do you
1: mean by took your work home with you
0: um I, 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 I'll i be very honest with you. I'm a, I was, not so much today, but I was a chronic worrier. Mm. And I had a theory that if you worry about something <laughs> long enough mm-hmm. and hard enough, yeah, everything will be just fine.
1: Yeah. As long as you keep worrying, though. Just as make long, sure you oh. put all of your energy into worrying, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, no, I get it. Okay. I get it. And so it
0: worked for many many years. And, and keep in mind I put I put so much darn pressure on myself because I was trying to fill these enormous shoes. Yeah. Impossible. I mean this is a company that grew so well and my dad was such a celebrity. I you know he was doing commercials, <laughs> television commercials not only for H&R Block but for United Airlines, for, really for hotel chains. Really? For, he was he was a he was
1: he wow, was such a, he that. was a That's,
0: hot shot. Wow. He was on Johnny Carson, if you know. Was he? I don't know if you know Johnny. Yeah, I
1: know Johnny. Well, I mean, I can't say the I've Tonight ever watched Show. It, but the, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean,
0: he was a he was one of the most recognized
1: CEOs wow. in America in the nineteen eighties. That's. Fa- I don't think okay. I really. I don't think I really knew that. I mean, obviously, you know, H and R Block's big company, everything else, but. Being in Kansas City, maybe we just are so close to it that he. he that's I, wild. I
0: remember one. I can't remember which hotel it, hotel chain it was that he was he was their spokesman. He would he would he, he uh, uh, somebody can't would imagine somebody this. would check into their room and open their suitcase, and my dad came out of the suitcase.
1: <laughs> that is amazing. And All people right. would just know him yeah. instantly. Oh, that's Henry Block.
0: <laughs> I remember we went on family vacations. And we were at a restaurant having dinner and somebody would walk up and say "Oh, you're henry block you know we'd be in texas somewhere some stranger walks up to <laughs> he was what well, back in the late 70s he became the spokesman for hr block and it, there was a very successful campaign called 17 reasons Seventeen reasons why you should go to H and R Block. Mm-hmm. Reason number four: We stand behind our work. Da, 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 yeah, da. yeah, yeah. Okay, and he was so uh, it was it it really improved the brand awareness wow. of H and R Block and the perception of the brand. He was a very believable yeah kind of guy, Midwesterner guy, Midwestern guy. Midwestern guy and um and who
1: is it? it's isn't it John Hamm today that's doing most of the
0: it was like, not i like don't last think the super
1: bowl ad i think i saw was john hamm for example. but i law. don't
0: think he is this tax season Okay. I, I don't think but um but you're right you're right john wow. hamm was um anyway where i don't remember where yeah, we well, were
1: yeah well we went we went down a rabbit hole uh, yeah um, <laughs> why why you were why you stepped down yes
0: okay so i i had these enormous shoes to fill yeah. and and so i it, the pressure was put on by myself not by my dad not by anybody else I just wanted to be successful and um, and for you know for almost 20 years the company did really well yeah and uh, but it got to me and I'll never forget it it was at home with my wife and my two young kids and we were having dinner and uh, I remember Mary sort of nudged me at the dinner table. Yeah. And I was like, what What was that for? A Mary
1: nudge sounds more like a push. But. But it was. Okay,
0: maybe a <laughs> push is a better way. I said, what was that? She said, Jason just asked you a question, and you didn't answer him.
1: You are just in your own world?
0: I was in my own world. And that was not uncommon.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see that taking its toll.
0: So, and a lot of people go, go, go into a bed at night to go to sleep. I, I got in there to work out the next day's problems, and I spent too many hours in that prone position just thinking about solving problems, real or unreal. Yeah, acting I, like you're sleeping. And I thought, you know, maybe this isn't the best thing for me to do for the rest of my life. I was still in my 40s. Not an old person. And I began to think, you know, financially, I'm in a really fortunate position.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I can do whatever I want. yeah. And I, in fact, could do something where I maybe could achieve almost the same or even more fulfillment, personal fulfillment. Yeah. Not financial fulfillment, but other types of fulfillment. Um
1: at what point
0: and that so i said what could i do yeah and i decided to become a school teacher
1: so i think that that is a i kind of want to put a little bit of a bow on you leaving and then i really would like you to share that story um if you had to kind of i guess just aggregate all of those lessons if there was one kind of top line lesson coming out of you know you're chasing after this thing chasing after this thing you worked so hard through those couple decades and then you get into your you're finally there You're ceo eh. what like if you had some you know if you could impart some sort of knowledge or um wisdom to somebody kind of 20 25 coming out of school thinks that they want that because candidly sitting across the table from you I'm still chasing that car. You know, I, I want to be sitting in that chair eventually. And maybe I will have that moment. Um, but nonetheless, even hearing, you know, your lessons, I still want to chase that car.
0: Yeah. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I never thought about doing anything with my life and I never ever thought I'd quit. I, this is, this is the ultimate.
1: So did you think of yourself as quitting?
0: Yeah. I thought of myself as quitting. That's interesting. I did. Okay. I did. And the interesting thing, which is not in answer to your question, though, <laughs> but right. I'm going to forget it otherwise, I thought when I when my decision was announced at the end of a tax season in 1995 that people were going to say he just threw in the towel. He gave up. He quit. I'm sure Trump could come up with but a lot of other <laughs> words <laughs> we'll to leave describe it. At that. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But when I also announced at that time that I was going to go teach school in the inner city, the response was, wow, which I totally did not anticipate. I'd love to do that. I got so much input from people saying, oh, I admire your decision. Admire. I mean, I was on Oprah. I were you? On, oh, I was on the Today Show. And, no shit. You were on
1: Oprah? That's amazing. I love it. I mean, I was... I got to go. I will put that in the show notes. I'm going to have to find that. Actually, <laughs> the Oprah
0: people came to Kansas City. They came to the school where I was working. So I wasn't actually on the set. Yeah. But they did the segment in Kansas City. Wow.
1: Yeah. But anyway, I...
0: It was my like 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. And okay. you were
1: scared at the beginning of this. You thought that you were going to be judged. You thought that, yes. you know, everybody yes. was going to say he gave up. He gave up. He failed, whatever. Right, right. Total opposite. Total
0: opposite. And then I, you know, I got invited to education conferences to be a keynote speaker, you know, because the teaching profession has never been highly regarded in our society. Mm-hmm. And so here's a, a, a CEO of a. You know, well-known company, business icon, who chooses to go into education. Yeah, and so I became a like a poster boy. Uh, A
1: lot of people were kind of curious what what you were going to test positive for on your drug test, (laughs) but otherwise they (laughs) were mainly they were inspired.
0: (laughs) And then. Few years later helped start a charter school which yep. was really a, a a great experience.
1: So where did you and this is gonna mean nothing to any of our listeners outside of Kansas City, but where did you teach um, directly after you left?
0: I taught at a, a school. It was part of it was part, it was an inner city Catholic school that is no longer here. It was at fifty fourth and Troost. Okay.
1: That's where S- I grew up.
0: Okay, Saint Francis Xavier. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, it was a school that was really struggling because that population there um, had changed so much over the years that there really wasn't a strong Catholic uh, uh, contingency in that neighborhood. And so they were basically serving inner inner city um, youth who really couldn't afford to pay tuition mm-hmm. but i didn't have a teaching certificate so my options were very limited at that time and that's why i taught at a, <laughs> at a parochial school i ended up getting a teaching certificate and then when i moved to the charter school yeah. i was i was qualified to teach
1: yeah. there. <laughs> that's, and a lot that's of people qu- a actually. lot of people
0: question gosh you could be a ceo of a new york stock exchange company but right. you can't teach you, uh, seventh grade math yeah. at a public school. There's
1: misalignment here. Yeah. Yes. yes, yeah, something's off.
0: But that's the way the system works.
1: Yeah. So quickly, so we have a couple of lightning round question or lightning round questions that I want to ask at the end here. But I think you know, there's only so many so many stories about schools getting started between you know a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and another CEO that sold their company to Berkshire Hathaway to Warren Buffett and team. Um, so I'd love to hear the story of how you and, uh, Barnett Helsberg kind of came together to, and yes. you know, whoever else was involved, came together to start university Academy.
0: Barnett and I are cousins. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I did know okay. that. Okay. Yeah, I did know that. Barnett and my mother were first cousins. And we're talking
1: about Helsberg diamonds, just to clarify for Correct, Which yeah.
0: was bought by Berkshire Hathaway right. uh, many years ago. And, um, And the story, uh, so I've known Barnett most of my life, Mm -hmm. though he's older than I am. Um, But he came to visit me one day at the school where I was teaching, and uh, he had— already sold his business, and he was trying to figure out what he wanted, what to do next.
1: Didn't you tell me that it was mostly, the acquisition was mostly through Berkshire stock and not through, wasn't that kind of a key component? It wasn't cash? Correct. Right. Correct. So and it was not only did he sell this company to a huge upside, but, you know, Berkshire stock was not doing poorly at the time? You got it.
0: Okay. You got it. And so, uh, you know, I think Barnett felt uh, a very religious guy and he felt that you know this this windfall that he got mm-hmm. by selling his company i think to uh to warren buffett was meant was meant to be yeah. and that he was supposed to do something really worthwhile yeah invest this back into the, making the world a better place sure i mean he used to say leave your campfire better than you found it that, yep. that heard him up. say that before yep and so he came to me with an idea that he had uh, researched and it was to provide basically vouchers to inner city kids to go to private and parochial schools in other words pay for pay for private education for disadvantaged youth and i said barnett this was in the late 1990s i said there's a new thing happening in education and i I happen to know Jeff City is looking at it very carefully right now, and I think there's going to be some legislation very, very soon to uh, authorize charter schools in the state of Missouri. And I said, I've just done a little research because it started up in Minnesota. It is fascinating. It's creating competition in public education. I said, this is really exciting and revolutionary. I said, you know, if you want to go do that, go ahead. But if you have any interest in this, I'd love to do it with you. Yeah. He said, well, yeah, let's do it. And we did. And
1: uh, so, but that was more than writing a check, wasn't it? I mean, there was.
0: And, and uh, to be very honest with you, Barnett is the one who really wrote the checks for this. Okay. And, uh, um, I mean, this was a project we did together, but mm-hmm. he was financially all in. Mm-hmm. Mm- no comparison between him and me, in that sense. And so, um, uh, in fact, after a few years, and we were we didn't start off very successfully. I have to say, and I contribute I attribute much of that to my uh, under under lack of understanding of how difficult. In inner, inner city education it's really tough, is. Yeah. It is so darn tough. You I know, mean,
1: University Academy started in the same building. I, so I was when I was at Academy Lafayette, which is the for listeners edification, the um, middle school that I went to University Academy was in the same building. Oh, so, that's right. Yeah. So you guys, I think that's were on the right. First floor and we were on the second floor. So, yeah, it was not only uh, a tough thing to just figure out, but finding space in Kansas City. We Correct. Were, we were in a Jewish synagogue.
0: Correct. Yeah. And and so uh, Barnett decided you know people f- should take pride in the school they attend mm. and, and if you don't go to a school in a really beautiful facility yeah. physical att- you know attractive state of the art it's hard to really be that yeah. proud of your school yeah. so I, he, he it was his idea and he put in I believe it was 40 million dollars to build a new building and I mean a beautiful.
1: It's gorgeous, yeah. It's gorgeous. He knocked down the synagogue to do it. Knocked yeah.
0: down the synagogue to do it.
1: Yeah. That's Which was a bit controversial. Well, that's a, yeah, it's a separate, that's another podcast. That's a whole, no, that's a whole <laughs> that was an amazing thing. It was. Um, so how long did you teach there?
0: I taught there, I want to say 10, 10 years or yeah. so, something like that's that. Amazing. And I was president of the board for 10 years.
1: And fast forward to today, that is probably the preeminent public school i mean from my point of view the preeminent public school in kansas city but best it, test scores everything else right
0: but in all honesty zach the school really took out took off after i retired <laughs> seriously i mean i was te- i was te- humble, i was that, that teaching i was teaching seventh grade math and it was the at the year after i retired those math scores started to soar
1: <laughs> you're lying no i it's really no, always, <laughs> that's hilarious so
0: <laughs> um, but, um, the, the school is really, uh, the school yeah. has t- really t- terrific leadership. It's and, a, it's a great story. And though I'm completely retired from it, the Hellsbergs, uh, the, uh, the fan Hellsberg family is very much yeah. involved still today.
1: Yeah. Well, anyways, it's, um, it's not exactly a uh, FinTech centric, but I wanted no. to take us down a, to a little rabbit hole there just cause I love that story. Um, so taking it a little bit back to FinTech and just kind of closing things up with a few uh, lightning round questions. Um, I probably already know the answer to this one just because- Does lightning
0: I round you. mean a, a fast well, answer? Well, li-
1: lightning <laughs> round for you and I, we'll call it like a slow drizzle. Okay, it's there you good. go. Okay. Um, <laughs> would you, so the first one is, would you attribute your success more so to luck or skill?
0: Oh, certainly not skill. So I would have to say luck.
1: Luck? Yeah.
0: And, and being and being born into the right family. Yeah. I mean, I just had a great father who was an unbelievable human being and a terrific mentor.
1: It takes some self-awareness just to know that, though. Yeah. There's, I've met a number of folks that have been born into similar situations I that see, don't even the, have that self-awareness. But that's the luckiest
0: thing that yeah. ever happened to me, yeah. my, my, my parents.
1: Yeah. Fair. Um, so most impactful book of your life? Not necessarily the one from, you know, you've read this last year, but just kind of the one that's stuck with you
0: next question none i don't read
1: you don't read how do you take in information because you take in information this much i know
0: i read i read newspapers i read newspapers but i don't read many books and honestly i i i have read a few books and when i have read books they tend to be on the topic of buddhism
1: that is interesting
0: i am just fascinated by
1: just sheer fascination. I take it you're not Buddhist. That I did not know. I can't know say that I am a Buddhist,
0: right. but I am just so taken hmm. with the teachings of Buddhism.
1: So in those early days around kind of learning management and whatnot, was that just kind of sheer osmosis? Just seeing people around you and kind of picking up on what they did, etc. Pretty cetera? much. Wow.
0: Pretty much. That's, that's and I and, 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 and you know my dad you know, he majored in math. Uh, he would be the first to tell you he was not a good student. He had two brothers who were a lot smarter than he was. But what he learned is that in order to get passing grades in school, he had to work really
1: hard. Mm-hmm. I know that feeling.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so he learned at an early age that to get, a, to get ahead, to be successful, he had to work hard. And so he was always a much bigger believer in working hard than being, you know, super educated.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that seems to have rubbed off on and you. And
0: he didn't read; <laughs> he really didn't read much.
1: Hmm. That's interesting. But he had a great common sense. It's so, it's so hard to quantify that. It is know? so hard. But it, it is, uh, it's kind of it comes back to the Charlie Munger of Kansas City, yeah, thing, right? Just There's it's the just so it's and, so
0: basic, you yeah. know, just. Whatever it is,
1: so this is maybe an interesting one, kind of based on your time as CEO. But how do you think about work-life balance versus work-life integration? Do you think that kind of you have to balance the two, and they have to be separate, or is the only, is the only way to succeed is to somehow force them together?
0: I don't. What t- you help me out with this concept of workplace integration? So work-life work-life integ- integration.
1: It's a it's a more. It's probably like within the last probably two years i think this buzzword and buzz phrase has come up more and more and more and i my understanding of it is it's the idea that you can't necessarily just clock out at five right so me as an example i'm you know managing director of an accelerator also you know doing this podcast and a number of other things um but they're all kind of involved in my work life and you know i get home at the end of the day and i'm not necessarily just home with my family i'm home and I'm also, you know, kind of still trying to find little ways. My mind is still on work, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm finding ways to integrate my work life into my home life. So instead of, you know, full kind of wall between the two, finding ways to kind of make the two work together.
0: Wow. That's, an, that's a new one for me. So uh. do, you,
1: do you think that there's... I, do you I think that concept would have helped you as CEO? Maybe. maybe it even a better question. I,
0: maybe, but I don't know if it's realistic. Or, okay. Or at least that's for really me. That's really the
1: question is, do you think it's realistic? I, yeah.
0: Maybe it is for some people, but I don't think it was for me. I, I, m- one of my biggest faults among many is that I, I've, I really failed at, at achieving a good balance. But I think that's so important. And I know people do it. My dad did it. Mm-hmm. He purposely, uh, purposefully led a balanced life. I told you he was home at 6 o'clock every night. Uh, He got involved in playing tennis and playing golf very competitively. Mm -hmm. And he did everything competitively. But taking family vacations and spending time with, I mean, he was a master at a at balancing hmm. life It a, can be done Yeah, That's I, one I'm thing still, I did not
1: inherit I'm so curious about these people Because um, one of the people That that brings to mind for me is Peter Maluk The founder of Creative Planning Every time I send him an email, this is you know one of the busiest, most uh, highest earners to say the least in Kansas City. Send him an email, he answers every time within five minutes. He does. He uh, coaches his kids baseball and you know basketball stuff. He's and I just don't understand. Really impressive. It doesn't. It it blows my mind, and I don't know how they achieve it. And I'm convinced that they're cloning themselves. And you and I are going to figure it out. Um. So the the last one is. Really, just um, kind of kind of a pivot, actually, based on how little we've talked about fintech today. But I think it's important to kind of set the set the stage about how we got to where we were with finance. Well, or
0: you scared me. I thought we were going to talk were about gonna, technology. Yeah, scare the crap out of you. And I, it'd be about a five minute interview.
1: Well, it would have been easier on you, right? Yeah. Um, so the last one is. And this, maybe I should give you some context around this. The, the question is, is technology or financial background more important in FinTech? So the more that we kind of expand this FinTech buzzword thing, there seem to be more companies, you know, that are very tech-centric that are coming out of the valley and maybe don't, you know, they're young kids in their dorm rooms, whatever. And then you have, you know, here in Kansas City, Bloom is an example. You got three ex-financial advisors that come together to start this, but maybe don't know a ton about technology. Um, so as you've been watching this space, which do you think is more important over the next 20, 40 years?
0: Between technology, technology
1: and financial knowledge.
0: I would say financial knowledge. Yeah. I would say financial knowledge. The technology is critically important sure. as a tool to achieve those means. I remember when we, when we, you know, H&R Block, someone said to me, you know, you're one of the biggest data processing companies in, in America. I said, data? no, we do taxes. They <laughs> said, no, that's data processing. I said, wow, that sounds like technology.
1: have <laughs> been doing it all along, didn't even know it.
0: <laughs> and we were doing it with a pencil. This was at the time when yeah. taxes were done on paper sure. with a pencil, okay? Yet it was considered data, uh, data processing. And the transformation of the business to um, uh, computers was an enormous uh, undertaking. Well, you know, when, when you have twelve thousand locations mm-hmm. and about a hundred thousand people entering information, the training, the capital, the but it was it the technology ended up making the product so much better, mm-hmm. and and the customer experience became so greatly improved
1: but you needed that finance and kind of product background in the first place for it to even be improved kind of right thing. yeah I I,
0: I, I I you're you're asking when you come to fintech you're asking the wrong guy
1: <laughs> no that's, I, that's that's great i
0: think you've, you've i've shot my wad on that
1: one <laughs> i was i was just curious about your two cents so i think that's that is a great place to it's end it's probably
0: not worth 2 cents <laughs>
1: It's worth a lot more than that. Tom, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, I Zach. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to episode one of For Fintech's Sake with Tom Block. To find out more information on Tom, honestly, Google him. There's not a ton of information out there. But if you find something interesting, I'd love to hear about it. You can get in touch with us at ForFintechSake.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter at forfintechsake. You can reach out to me personally on Twitter at Zach Pettit, or you can contact me via email at zach.pettit at nbkc.com. That's Z-A-C-H dot P-E-T-T-E-T. And other than that, keep tuned for next week when we'll have Michael Sidgemore from Broadhaven Ventures on really fun conversation. Michael's a fascinating guy and we will be continuing from there. Stay tuned for more guests. Uh, Please Like and subscribe the podcast in Apple Podcasts. Um, Leave a review if you would, especially if you like it. If you don't, maybe listen to the second episode and then leave a review later. Have a wonderful week and stay classy, y'all.